You're in a military convoy. The car in front of you keeps driving, leading the path. All of a sudden, that path blows up and you're part of that explosion. You, your driver, your gunner, your translator. You find out your back's broken. What happens next? My name is Wong Lam, your host of the Finding Moments podcast, and that's exactly what we had the honor and the privilege to do, is to speak with a Purple Heart winner, Jeremy Adams. We actually met on Twitter. There's just one tweet about, I've never been to an OU football game. That was the tweet. Sparked my curiosity along with a few others. One conversation led to another, exchange of phone numbers, and now we talk, tweet, or text every day. Jeremy Adams, thank you so much for your service to our great country. Thank you so much for your friendship to us, to me. I appreciate you. We appreciate you. We're going to see you soon. We love you. Thank you for sharing your story with us. It's amazing. I am so proud and so honored. All the best. See you soon. Thank you so much for tuning in to Defining Moments Podcast. Get on social media. Find us on Instagram at Defining Moments Podcast. On Twitter at Def Moments Pod. That's at D-E-F Moments Pod. We're on all sorts of podcasting platforms from Google to iTunes, iHeartRadio, to Spotify. Search Defining Moments Podcast. Like it, subscribe to it. We're also on YouTube so you can see the video edition. Search Defining Moments Podcast. Like it, subscribe to it if you believe in it. And no matter what, show some appreciation today, every day, because someone is always rooting you on. Okay. One, two, three. Boomer. Welcome back to the Finding Moments podcast. My name is Wong Lam, and today's very special guest is our great friend, Jeremy Adams. Jeremy, welcome to the podcast, brother. Hey, it's great. Glad to be here. Yeah. Dude, first of all, man, thank you so much for your service to our great country, bro. Oh, thank you. Yeah, absolutely, man. We uh, connected actually recently a few weeks ago on on Twitter. Oh, yeah. It's, it was interesting because I, I started listening to your podcast while I was running and doing my exercise. And so, and it was all the stuff people you were talking to were very, like, interesting. So, you know, I got to reach out a little bit more because it's, a little bit easier for me to reach out like through social media because I'm not very, I'm kind of a, not a very people person. I don't have a lot of friends or anything like that. So it makes it easier for me to meet people like that. So, but I mean, I'm glad it did. And y'all have your fun stuff now where you're doing your workouts and stuff like that, especially during the time, this trying time that everybody's kind of in lockdown or being grounded for a month. So. Yeah. How is how are you dealing with the lockdown, the uh, COVID nineteen, and how's your mentality? What what is it like? It's weird because the first week, like my routine was really messed up because I, I'm a very routine person because I'll go to the gym, I do this, this, and this. So that threw me off. I was a little upset about that. But then the the more we got into it, it kind of reminds me of a deployment. Because you're in deployment, like granted, you're out doing your job and you're outside the wire, but you really can't go and do anything else. You can't go down the street to the the movie theater or you can't go down the street to the mall or can't go to the grocery store. So that's the mentality I use. Like I really worry about like my wife and my children because they don't get to go anywhere. I mean, my mm -hmm. wife got out yesterday to run to Target and she didn't even go in. She just went in, picked up the stuff through the, the uh, drive through thing and then left. So she was very, she's very routine also. So that really, you know, makes her depressed. But me, I kind of take it just day by day. So, but I always tell her, like, it's real easy for us and the kids to do things. Because we were always, ever since I got wounded in Afghanistan, we've always been together. Yeah. Like the first six months, we, we lived in a hotel room. 
And granted, the kids were only three and four at the time. So we all, you know, and me in a wheelchair, and it, and it wasn't even a suite in the hotel room. It was just a regular two beds, like sofa bed, and then a little small bathroom, and me in a wheelchair. So, so we take it in stride, you know. Yeah. You know, granted, luckily we live in a neighborhood where you can still get out and exercise, and then we have a swimming pool so the kids can actually get out and go swimming and stuff like that. So, you know, it just takes getting used to. So, yeah. You talked about day by day. So today, how are you doing? Well, I'm doing okay. I mean, I went out and like I ran this morning and then I'll do whatever I need to do around here. The kids are still sleeping, but you know, I just got to try to make the best of it. Yeah. But I always tell my wife, like I sleep later now than I would ever before. Cause normally six thirty seven, I'm out of bed. Now it's like, I actually have to set alarm at like seven something to get up before <laughs> eight o'clock. And I don't go to, I go to bed about the same time. I guess it's just because you, there's no point. Like you wake up and there's really, you can't really go do anything. I mean, you can do what you need to do around the house, but that only takes, you know, an hour and a half, two hours. It just depends. And you can't really go and do anything. And I'd like my wife, like the first week we were there, like I was going to the store every day, loading up, getting this, getting that. And now that, cause we didn't have any cases in where we live at. Now we getting people getting affected. Like I'm a little bit more wary about going out. And it, sometimes it doesn't bother me because like I said, I've been in Afghanistan. I'm sure there was shit floating around over there that probably can make you sick. But that this stuff, like I worry about getting my children and my wife sick. So you bring something home with you, you know, but luckily like I, when I go and I come, like I clean myself with Clorox wipes when I get back in my truck. But as soon as I get home from being out, like to the store, I take all my clothes off, throw them in the wash machine and then wash my hands and whatever else I need to wash and then change and go about my business. So, yeah. Now, that's interesting. So it sounds like you're pretty, uh, you're taking a lot of precautions, pretty regimented, pretty, uh, for lack of better terms, but militaristic as far as your structure, your order to, hey, this is what I've got to do to protect myself and my family. Yeah. Uh, they're the number one. When I, like, when I got out of the Army, like, I had to, it was an adjustment. But I looked at it like my job now is just to take care of my wife and kids. Same way when I was in the Army, like, when I was a, a squad leader, so my job was to take care of my squad when we were deployed. Now I just kind of rolled that over to um, taking care of them. And it's sometimes it's a little difficult because like in my mindset, like if somebody should hurt my kids or my wife, like I don't know how I would physically react. Like I'm a, I could end up hurting somebody because like I'll go into army jeremy and you know i don't know what i'm so thankfully they nothing bad ever happened or anything like that but yeah i just try to you know they're my number one priority they're pretty much all i got i mean i have a my dad lives eight hours away so but what that have here is my family so i mean i'm gonna take care of them make sure they're good to go nobody gets sick or anything like that so right yeah you're talking about Army Jeremy, if you don't mind, let's let's just jump into this. Your your defining moment, what led up to it, and your journey. Well, I joined like I was older. I was twenty nine when I was joined. I was working a dead end job as a bail bondsman, and I was sitting there one day, and it's like, so if I worked the same job for ten years, I'm not going to be making any more money. I'm not going to be promoted any higher. Like, why are you doing it? So I was like, well, let me go talk to the recruiter. So I went, talked to the army recruiter and said, Hey, I'm, you know, I want to join up. Took a few months because I had to get a waiver from a, a colonel because I years ago or when I was in my twenties, I got a two DWI. So they had to sign off to let me join the military. So, but once I got in, like I was older, so I was a little more mature than some of these younger kids, but I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to be, which is an army is an NCO, non-commissioned officer, which is like a sergeant, you know, and on up. That's what I wanted to do. So I busted my butt and like 
and I think I'm, I made my sergeant in less than three years, which is, it's pretty fast. So that, that was, but I'd always tell guys, it's like, you know, you need to work hard because you want that sergeant, you know, like, well, I don't, there's, but it's a pay raise. And I look at the army, it's just, it was a job. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a different job, but you still, you got paid on the first and 15th and the higher you went, the more money you got paid. So, and then, you know, I deployed to Afghanistan. My first tour was in March, 2008, March, 2009. I went, me and Rosie weren't even married yet. We didn't even know each other. We had met, we met or started talking again by October, my first deployment. And it's, it's a funny story because we met, and we started talking in October through uh, MySpace and Yahoo Messenger. So we talked and then we kind of stopped talking around December. And then we, when I got back to the States in March, like we started kind of talking and I went from Fort Campbell down to Texas and I told her, well, I'm going to come see you when I get down there. And I, we had settled, I was going to come like on a Saturday or something. So, I just said, well, I ain't got nothing that's going on. I'm off for 30 days, so let me take off now. So I called her. It's like, hey, I'm on my way to see you. So I start taking off, driving down there. I get on the south side of Houston, and she calls. She's like, you don't have to come. Just turn and go back. I'm like, no, I'm already halfway there. <laughs> so, you know, we get there. We partied for like four, three or four days, and then one day sitting on the couch, we were watching Batman. And I was like, hey, you want to get married? She said yes. And then, you know, the rest is history. 11 years later, here we are. So, wow. But she's, you know, and then she got a year in Fort Campbell before we started getting ready to go back down to Afghanistan. So that was a, an interesting time for her because she was just still just brand new as a military wife. And then like she gets, you know, I deploy and then, you know, it's tough on them because they, when guys, get killed overseas, like it, Camo goes black. Like you can't call nobody to the families notified. And then the FRG calls and the wives and like, wait, somebody was wounded or injured or killed, but we don't know who it is yet, but we don't know if it's your soldier. So it was very trying for her. So she finally just told him to stop calling. If it ain't him, don't call. So when I got, uh, wounded like she she knew something was wrong because i was like regimentally like i would before i'd go to bed at night i'd text her or call her tell her good night and she never heard from me and then you know time time went by and uh finally i got it after everything happened and i got medevac to the first field hospital like i got a chance to call her and it's funny because she just changed her phone number so i did like i couldn't remember what her number was and i had to go through all the numbers and finally I did. And one of the nurses allowed me to call her. So I called her and it's like, Hey, you know, I got hurt. I'm going to be coming home. So. Wow. You, Which, you talk about medevac. What, what, ha- what exactly happened? How did what, get medevac? what happened was, is we got a call. We were the QRF recovery asset. So what we would do, we would, our four gun trucks would escort like a, we'd escort EOD or we'd escort a rector to go pick, up somebody either a was blown up or something broke down so what happened was the national guard unit was doing some uh work out with the locals trying to get stuff set up and uh they got stuck on the side of them <laughs> so they call us to come save them so we take off we're driving and there was no over there there's not there's roads but then there's some places like there's the map doesn't show where the road is so we we saw them and we knew where they were at so we took off and we t- made this left-hand turn and it comes up and it ends dead ends in a village well on the map you don't you can't tell because the village it doesn't say so-and-so village is here so what happened we turned around got flipped around went started going back down the road and like we went more i guess a mile away and my lt goes through and then here comes my truck Boom. It's the loudest noise I ever heard. And then everything went black. And like after the next thing I remember, somebody I think my LT was opening up the door and like, like I was in like, like the worst pain I've ever experienced in my entire life. And I didn't know what was wrong. So then what I can remember, he pulls me out of the truck, lays me on the ground and it's, I got aggravated because I'm just laying there and like with the, 
with your gear on, you got a big front plate on, you got a back plate on. So when you get the back plate on, like it lifts you up off the ground. So your head's not even touching the ground. You're just kind of dangling there. So I told him like, Hey, sit me up against the fucking tire because if they start shooting, I don't want to be laying here and I can't go anywhere. So finally we, they get the uh, helicopters called in to come pick us up. And then they get, you know, they had to get assets or like the air force sends in, uh, we call them fast movers for jets in the compilers coverage because over there, sometimes they'll like blow you up and then they'll like to shoot at you later. So finally they didn't do any of that stuff. And we finally got me loaded onto the helicopter, me, my driver, and then my gunner and then my interpreter, which he was an idiot. And I, he got knocked cuckoo, but he didn't wear his helmet. I kept telling him, Hey, you need to put your fucking helmet on. And he's like, oh, it's like, you need to. And he, and he figured out why that day. But finally, we got to the Medivactus to a little field hospital. And then that's when they started doing uh, like x rays and doing all this stuff to make sure I was good. And that's when the initial got back to my unit like, hey, with his injuries, he'll never walk again or he'll lose, lose his feet. And so then once I got through with there, they sent me to. Bagram Airfield, which is the main air terminal that flies all, everybody flies in and out of Afghanistan in the U.S. from Bagram. So we're at the Bagram Hospital, and they had to go in and do surgery. They had to put two, three steel rods in my left heel because all the bones were just floating all over the place. So they had to put them in and sell them in. So I got that done. I got my Purple Heart there, and uh, like the whole time, my buddy, my best friend was coming back from leave from the States. And I knew he would be in about that time. So I kept asking, like, hey, stay here, stay here. Finally, I got to see him. And he was there when I got my Purple Heart. And he tells the story like I wouldn't even, like I was still in La La Land. Like the, the Sergeant Major walks in. He's got glasses on. And I'm joking with him. So he got glasses on inside, Sergeant Major. And he said, like, they were the whole time they were doing this talk about the Purple you give me the purple heart. Like I'm sitting there just staring at it. Like I was stoned out of my main, my mind. And then, you know, once they that, they like, they start sending you back to the States and then you fly you to Germany. You stay in Germany for about a day. They flew me from Germany to Andrews air force base. And they have like a little bitty hospital right there on the airfield. So they, they'll put you in the, there for, it seemed like a day. I don't know how long it was. And then I caught that, flight from Andrews into St. Louis. And in St. Louis, they put us on, we went from a C5 to a C-130. Because a C-130 is like a prop. And it shakes like like bad when it takes off. And you're in a gurney, and you really can't do anything because I couldn't walk or anything. So they start shaking. I'm like, oh, God, please don't let me fall out of this fucking out of my gurney. So finally I get to, you know, San Antonio and then they, you know, get me to the hospital, wheel me in. And my dad's already there. Like he drove five or six hours. He beat, he beat Rosie and the kids there to the room. And finally we all get together and then, you know, they started the surgeries were get there February 22nd, I think. And I started getting my first surgery in March third or something like that. I can't remember the exact date. So, and then when we got there, they started getting reports back to the, my unit. Like, well, well, they told us like, he's got maybe a 50% chance of ever walking or running. So, and then they were like, well, we, we can amputate, but there was a doctor there, ortho doctor called, he was Dr. Ficky. Rami of Tom Selleck, except he had a lot more gray hair and a big old gray mustache. He's like, no, we can save it. So he went in and, you know, hooked me all up and they sent me, Stayed in the hospital for two or three weeks. Had to have on the left foot, they had one surgery, the right foot had one surgery, and then they had to go back in a few days later. And one of the screws was how they had screwed it in was going to end up hitting a bone or something, hitting something. So they had to go back in and read, open it up, read, re screw me back together. So they had a, once they got done with that, they sent me to sort of rehab in a place called the CFI, which is the Center for Intrepid. And they had come up with this new workout plan for guys who had lower extremity injuries, but they still had their, like, they didn't lose any leg or anything like that. And it's called the return to run program. So he was working with a guy who 
they had made these braces called an IDL, and it's in I can't I can't even remember the name of it. It's Intrepid, something device, exoskeletal, orthopedic, some some fancy name. So that going through the rebound, once I started to be able to walk a little bit, I went through that and that's got me where I could start running again. And you know, it was just a it was a slow process. It was I think February to November 2012, like a year of rehab and stuff. So and then I got put out in, you know, February, November 2012, the Army said, hey, we're done with you. We're going to go ahead and medically retire you. And, and they tried to talk me into staying for a little bit. And they're like, hey, you can stay in if you want. I was like, but can I deploy? And they're like, no, you'll be non-deployable. I was like, no, I'm not going to do it because I can't train soldiers to deploy. And then when they get ready to get on the bird to leave, I'm going to stay behind on rear D. It's like, that's not who I am. So, yeah. I uh, told them to put me out, and they sent me out, and, you know, every day, it's, I mean, it's a struggle. Every day, I live every day, just one day at a time, but, you know, I have a very good support system with my wife and my children, so, you know, she's, we've been through some shitty times with me, but, you know, dealing with stuff that I didn't know I was dealing with, so I was self-medicating, drinking, doing all that kind of stuff, so, you know. You got some points where, like, it was it was touch and go with the marriage. And she made say, hey, it's either the, the booze or me and the kids. So I was like, well, you know, I choose you and the kids. So slowed my drinking way down. And then, you know, I had a couple times I slipped off the wagon. And then I think two years ago in December 2017, like, I had my last drink, got a little buzz, didn't like it. Finally, I said, I'm not drinking anymore. I ain't even touched it. Like, she'll offer me a drink, and I'll take a sip. It's like, try this. And that's about as good as it gets. Mm. So, And then I was still smoking cigarettes. And, uh, and then one day, I think it'd be two years in May, like, I finally was like, yeah, I'm done with this. Like, I'm going to quit smoking. And I told my, my doctor, hey, I'm going to quit smoking. He started prescribing a little bit of medication. And then once I got through it, I was good. Like, don't really need it anymore. Don't like this. Like I can smell it on people now and it stinks. <laughs> and I didn't ever, never know that because when you're smoking, you don't smell other people's smoke. So you didn't know if you stunk or not, but we were in a mall in Minnesota. The first time I ever smelled it. I'm like, this dude was standing next to me looking at something. And I'm like, God, he smells like cigarettes. It smells like a stale cigarette. And I was like, now I'm glad I, I quit smoking. So, and then, you know, that kind of, Led me to be my uh, started running in I think November. Just wanted to try something different. Start running on the treadmill. And like when I first started running, I could only run for like five minutes, and I was sucking wind. And then doing that, then I started running, doing some five Ks, and started feeling better. And now, you know, I get out and like I can run six miles, but never miss a beat. So. And I'll tell you, be the first time. I hate fucking running, but I do it just because it it's it's healthy for me, and you know I've lost a little weight because of it. And I always tell my wife, like I run to get in shape because I'll be damn, I'm gonna get my butt kicked because I'm out of shape. Somebody might be better than me and kick my butt, but I'm not gonna do it because I'm out of shape. So, right? Yeah, you know, it's just you know it's been a long, crazy story, but you know I have. We have fun, you know, we deal with the good days, we deal with the bad days, you know, but my kids, are, they're slowly getting used to it. My wife's, you know, kind of gotten adjusted, but it's, you know, you're living with a disabled vet, so it could always be worse. Yeah, that's true. You're uh, talking about when you guys ran over the IED, you had your lieutenant, yourself, the gunner, and a translator. Did they, everyone make it out oh yeah mm -hmm. my driver he made it out he 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 had a heel fracture and he was back duty within a year and he's out of the army now and he drives a bus there in washington in the washington dc area mm -hmm. my gunner i think he had a real bad concussion he got out he works lives in el paso uh, what does he do he works on cars and does all this other stuff 
And then the interpreter, I don't know whatever happened to him. And then my LT was in the truck ahead of us and he felt, he still probably feels bad because he's the first truck to go through and it didn't hit him. But he lives, I see him occasionally or talk to him occasionally on Facebook. He lives in Pennsylvania. He's out the army. I don't know what he's doing now, but he's doing something. So that's one of the reasons like I keep Facebook because it's so easier now to communicate with guys I serve with. And, you know, you keep up and you get to see them, you know, occasionally you get to talk, you'll talk to them. And like, we put, there's a few of them that put groups together for us guys to get together. Like another, one of my guy buddies, he lives in Virginia, put a group to get guys to start working out and exercise and doing stuff like that just to get us, you know, you know, trying to, you did it for so long while you're in the military, then you get out and nobody ever wants to do it again. So you need to try to stay, it gives you that sense of like, like I'm still there doing stuff like did in the army, but I'm not in the army. So yeah, it's, it's tough once you get out, man. You like, I, I mean, I miss it. I don't miss being in at home in the States doing busy work. I miss being deployed because it's just you and your guys and people, you know, the people you're employed with and you're, you're stuck on this little bitty ass fob and you know, you're doing your job. Yeah. I mean, it sucks. I mean, there's always a chance you can go out and get killed, but you knew what you signed up for when you, uh, when you signed on the dotted line, but they like somebody, you knew you signed up, you could be killed, but then nobody ever talked to you about dealing with the, the mental side of it after you getting wounded or seeing the stuff that we saw, you know, nobody that, that wouldn't talk to you about by the recruiter. So, you know, that's something new for us, but you know, you, you got to take it day by day and kind of go with the punches. You know, I have good days, I have bad days, but, you know, I kind of know what my triggers are. So I kind of stay away from certain situations or stuff like that. So, and that's the best advice I ever got. And I got it from a Vietnam vet. He's like, you know, once you learn what kind of triggers you with PTSD, no matter what medication you take, you still need to, you can, you, you can, uh, kind of avoid those. So, you know, I avoid it. I mean, there's not a lot of, firefights going on out here people getting blowed up or anything like that so that's stuff i'm okay with yeah you know you talked about triggers and when i think about that it's one of those things where you definitely have to have a next level of mental toughness to understand your triggers and to deal with them potentially obviously control it so when you get to that point when there's a trigger approaching or you think about what do you do mentally or how do you deal with that? I just kind of, in my mind, I go somewhere that um, it's hard to explain. Like I can t- go in my mind to like, Hey, it's not what, what it was. You're not in Afghanistan. Like you can teach yourself. And I'm, I put a lot of my, stuff my faith in the lord gets me through a lot like i might not be the most church going guy but i do believe what i believe i believe i'm still here because of him so that gets me through a lot of the mental stuff like hey i you know like i'll say a quick prayer in my mind if something bad's and and then i feel better yeah so the other day I did to be, I left to go cause I had to go to the grocery store and I was real nervous because of the Corona stuff. And I think I said the Lord's prayer like two or three times before I ever got to the grocery store. But that's what gets me through a lot of the, the stuff. It's just my faith in him. I like, you know, there's, I'm still here for a reason. Like he ain't done with me yet. So if he was, he had several times he could have, you know, he could have taken me away. So that's just, you know, but then there's a lot of mental stuff. Like I could be out running or riding in the truck or being out in the yard is doing something. And like I'll see like a cloud formation or see something. And in my mind, I can go back to seeing that in Afghanistan. And it's, you know, it's, it's, I don't know if it's a flashback. It's just, you can remember seeing stuff like that when you were in downrange. Like I think my favorite when, when I was a gunner, because I was out in the open air, I saw the, the, smelled everything saw everything so that's what i can go back to in certain things so 
but like the like I hear fireworks. Like if I don't know they're coming, and a loud noise, I'll jump. But if I know it's about to happen, then I'm good because I'm like, hey, this is it's fixing to happen. This is fixing to make a loud noise, so it's good. And so I don't yeah. get all you know weirded out or end up shivering in a corner or stuff like that. But I mean, there's guys out there that that they do that, and you know you 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 just you know. You know, you want to be there with them. You want to say, "Hey, it's okay. You're not gonna. It's not a. It's not what it. What you think it is." So, and then we, like I said, you know, we lose a lot of guys. We lose like a lot. Like I can, I know several of my buddies who just mentally couldn't deal with it, and, and they they took their own lives. And it's it's sad because you know we tell them every time, like all you can do is pick up the phone and call. Like you have our numbers or, you know, here's my number. Just call. Like, I don't care what time of the day it is. I never cut my ringer off. Like, cause somebody might call. And I had a buddy of mine I served with my first tour. He called me one night and he just, just to talk. And he told me when it's done, he's like, Hey man, I just, I really needed that. I'm like, Hey, that's what I'm here for. Anytime you want to pick up the phone and that's kind of how we deal with it. So, cause we've all lost, we all know these guys and I'm like, you know, I lost my best friend, I mean, from a drug overdose, you know, and I, I, that's, that's a tough one to deal with because we lost touch. And then, you know, you, you get a call the net one day and it's like, Hey, he passed away. And you, you start second guessing, like, you know, maybe if I could have gotten in touch with him before that, like I could get it, got him down here and, you know, got him off what he, the drugs he was doing after he got out of rehab, but yeah, you know, just wasn't in Laura's plan. So Right. And you got to take that as a in stride, but you know. Yeah, it's uh, you know, just listening to you speak to this is uh, to me, it's it's uh, it's impressive because obviously I've never been through that, and it it gives us that have never served uh, a very amazing perspective on what you and your team members and everyone who has served currently serving go through on a day-to-day basis. And I I noticed that the, you have the Oklahoma Nike t-shirt on and, you know, the Sooner Nation is very strong and we're, it's very, very supportive. And I'm so glad you're on Twitter and I'm so glad we met on Twitter because now the interaction, seeing you hearing your voice, puts me just like, I feel like I'm super connected to you, man. And I appreciate you. Oh, I appreciate y'all. You know, I don't have, like I said, I, I don't have a lot of friends because I'm very like choosy. I like, you know, I'm not real big on meeting a bunch of new people, but like I'm working on getting better at it. So getting out, coming outside of my shell. Cause once I get out of my shell, I'm good, but it yeah. takes me like my kids, the story, my kids, godparents, like we, when we lived in mission, like it took me almost six months before my Irene went over to their house or got out and meet people because I was still just fresh. I was only out of the army for not even a year yet. So I'm still getting used to it. So now, you know, I'm a little bit better, Yeah, but I still, you know, I don't, I'm not going to run out and want to hang out and do a bunch of stuff with a bunch of people, but that's just who I am. I, but I've always kind of been like that. Like I, I have friends, but, I've always kind of been by myself. So, yeah. And you said you mentioned you've never been to an OU football game. Is that mm-hmm. correct? The closest I've ever been was when I lived in Dallas during OU Texas. Oh, yeah. I never even went to the games. It's just, you know, living, money situation, trying to get here, trying to get, you know, just, just what never in the cards. So, you know, you got to do what you got to do. So, yeah. Well, I, I feel like, if OU does play football this fall, that we will be able to get you and you said your son. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, wants to come up and put you up in a hotel, take you to a game and see a, a actual OU football game in Norman, Oklahoma. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah, it's going to happen. If they play, we're we're going to find some people. We're going to make this happen for you. Good deal. Sounds good to me. Yeah, it's going to be awesome, man. So. Ha- you you talk about your support network. You've got your kids. You got your wife. You got 
some friends do you go and see a, a therapist or yeah I, I see i have a therapist i see every two weeks and then i have a i see my psychiatrist every every couple of months yeah it just depends so i, I talked to my therapist this week i think thursday yeah thursday just because we now we have to do it over the video because of the this thing so yeah yeah it's it's it helps. It just gives me somebody else to go out and, you know, just talk to about my issues. Like I'm not going to go talk to my dad about my issues. Occasionally if I need advice about kids and being a, a parent, I'll call him. But other than that, I'm not a very, uh, you know, go out and talk to other people about issues or even, you know, if I need marital advice, like I'll talk to my therapist. I won't go and talk to another man. <laughs> no it's just no they can't even get their their lives in order with their marriage i'm not definitely gonna and i'm a very (laughs) private person when it comes to certain things like that so yeah but like my support system like is is the woman in the room watching tv like she is like she's my biggest supporter and she's my (laughs) she can be my biggest credit but you know she can be a hard ass but yeah she got me at the right time because, like, I went, it was a seamless transmit, transition because I was in the Army. Somebody would pause me, tell me what to do, need to do this, do that, to write in here. But she does it and because she has my best interest in heart, though. And there's some pushback for me because that's just who I am. I don't like being told what to do. And even in the military, if I didn't think something's right, I'm, I have a little pushback. But yeah, all in all, you know, a lot of stuff that I've, I've done with the the quitting of the drinking and the smoking and stuff like that. It's because of her, because she's, you know, pushed me that way. And something like I tell, I do it just that way. There's one less thing you can get on to me about. So, you know, but it's all because she's, she knows what kind of man I can be. So she pushes me to be, to be that, that person. Cause it's, you know, like, you know, she, she's pretty much all I got, her and the kids and my dad. But like, yeah. I, I don't have a relationship with my mother. So, you know, mother's one of those. I've always been a screw up. So my wife does it to show him like, hey, this is what he's accomplished. He's not what he used to be. I've kind of grown up a little bit. So and it took me a while. But, you know, I tell her all the time, like, you know, I, I try to think what it would be like if we weren't married. And I like, I wouldn't do, I probably accomplish half the things that I did because it was, I was always about being just, it was just about me and she's made me, she's made me want to be a better man. And I, her opinion of me is probably the biggest thing that matters to me in this world. And I always want her to be proud of me. And that's why I get out and I, you know, I run and like, you know, I went on the diet to lose weight because I want her to, you know, say, hey, you know, he's, he does, he's not as bad as everybody he used to be because I used to be pretty rough. But, you know, she's she's molded me into being something that, you know, people could say, hey, that, you know, he's a pretty good guy. So mm-hmm. now, That's amazing because you went from just to go back as MySpace Google chats to, or Yahoo chats to meet your wife. And then or at the time talking to her, drove to Texas or part of Texas to meet her. She calls you halfway. You're like, ah, I don't know. Or she's like, I don't know. But you're like, I'm coming anyways to meeting her. A few days later, you guys get married. Have, and then you eventually have kids. You served late at, I think, 29 years old. You started. Yeah. Then the accident happened running over an IED and then you were confined to a wheelchair and now living to 2020 right now, present day, you're running, you are seeking help when you need, you are the help when others need this. I mean, you're talking about God's reasoning. I mean, this might be one of the biggest reasons, man. You're, you're like the common denominator of hope for people. Yeah. I just try you know, I try to show, let's go try to show my kids that no matter the situation, no matter how, where you've been at, or if it's, you know, something's tough and you got to come back from like, don't quit. Yeah. Don't feel bad about it. You know, keep pushing, keep, you can always accomplish 
what you want to do or you, you set out to do and stuff like that. And like now they don't understand when it's only 13 and 14, but when they get older, they'll be like, Hey, you know, my dad was right. You know, like, you know, the times get tough, you know, people get tough and you just got to keep, keep moving along. You know, the army would say drink water and drive on. So just, you know, I try to set the example for my family, you know, because they're going to be, they're going to go through tough times one day. I'm not going to, they're going to struggle. And Mm -hmm. that's, you know, how it is. And I tell them, like, I, I don't want them to struggle, but then I do because I want them to understand, like, they need to figure it out how to do it on their own. Yeah. Because, you know, mom and dad rush in every time and save the day. Then they're never going to understand when it's mom and dad are not there and it's, they're going through something tough. They don't, they won't know how to fight the way out of it. So, yeah, no, th- that's true. I just, I think about that all the time. And my parents, obviously, they are from Vietnam and growing up, man, it was learning through cold experience. You know, they, they could save the day, but they chose not to because they're like, hey, you got to learn this. And sometimes it's a hard way and sometimes it hurts. Mm-hmm. But, man, that's, that's yeah. helped. And I take a lot of what I, that from, uh, I played football in a little small town in East Texas. And, my high school football coach at the time when he passed away, he was like the fourth wingest coach in Texas high school football history. Wow. But he would talk to us on Fridays before the game, like during PE and the first like 10 minutes, he'd go over some X's and O's crap. And then the last 35, 40 minutes, he talked to us about life. Like he, and he, you know, you take a lot of that stuff that he taught us. I take, in my day to lay life, when I was in the military, in tough times, I went back to those lessons he taught me because, you know, he was always like a second dad to like all the, all the players. And he was very straightforward. You sucked. He told you, you sucked. If you were good, he told you you were good. But, you know, he was a good guy. And, you know, I think he passed away September 2010. I was on deployment. I got a a message that he had died of a heart attack. So it'd be, it'd be 10 years this year. Wow. But you know, I said, he's, he touched a lot of people. Man. So it's, that's, that's a good thing. And I mean, I grew up in a real small town and I, you know, I, as soon as I was 18, I took off and left and never been back when I've been back to visit, but I wouldn't change where I was raised. I mean, yeah. it made me kind of who I am today. So I like it. I got a, what are two, maybe what are a couple questions that you wish people would ask you, but no one ever asked? Mm. I, um, I have to think about that. That's a, that's a hard question. I, I don't, you can ask me anything. I might give you the answer and I might not. It right. just like, um, you know, my is like, what, Oh, yes. Like what drives you to do what you do, mm. like the, especially with the running, because I don't like it, but I do it, you know, because I was, you know, I just want to, sh- you know, my wife, my wife, it always go back to her. She drives me to do pretty much everything because I want to be her to be proud of me and yeah. her. You know, just to show that that I'm the guy you married is not the same guy, you know that you uh, that I am today. The guy that was the drinker and uh, you know the bad stuff that I've done is not who I am today. Yeah, because now there's the dog right there. Yeah, I saw the dog. I see the American flag in the window, blown in the wind. Oh yeah, that, like you'll see it every once in a while in the kitchen. You think somebody's looking in the window at you. That's the flag. That's but awesome. uh, another one would be just, I don't know, maybe like, you know, are you, who, how did you get, you know, I had to think about that one for a second. It's like, because I think I've struggled a lot throughout my life with, you know, and alcohol was a big one. So, and uh, I think like, you know, what made you, like, what would you make, made you make changes 
when it comes to the alcohol. That'd be a big one. It's just, uh, you know, I just, mm, I guess I got tired of being just, I don't want my children to ever look back and be like, their, their, their best stories of their father would always be what my dad was always drinking. Mm. So I don't ever want that because I, I can look back in my past and I can always say like my memories of my father, like he never drank. Like I seen him drink a beer or two here and there, but I never seen him drunk. And that's just what I remember from him. I remember all the good times. I remember him being a hard ass and then certain things we went through, but I don't ever remember him being a, a drinker. And I don't want my kids to remember that from me. I want them to remember yeah. like, Hey, my dad was a, he might've been a hard ass, but he loved us. And, you know, he, he did what he could do to, you know, make sure our life was good. And same way with my wife though, she, does what you can do to make sure the kids get, you know, kind of everything we didn't get. Cause I grew up in a poor family. You know, it's, we, we were eating spam for dinner. That was, that's what you had to eat some days, but you know, I wouldn't change it. I grew up, had a good life. So I like it. What, uh, what's your favorite way to eat spam? Now I hate it. <laughs> now, I haven't ate it since then. It was just, but I had some guys when we were in Afghanistan, he was, a. Uh, Filipino guy, and they would yeah. spam the rice. He would cook yeah. some, so that's not as bad. But growing up, spam was just. Ugh. But you, it was it was what was served, and you didn't have a choice. Like you couldn't. Say, I don't eat that today. You did. You either ate it or you didn't eat. So you better stomach it down. So, <laughs> but I'm not. I'm not going to go buy it on the aisle now. I'm safe. Yeah, I married a Mexican woman for a reason. Which. <laughs> I tell her I married you because I love Mexican food, but now I can't eat it as much because, you know, I'm working on I'm losing weight and my A1C <laughs> was real high. So, <laughs> Man, uh, speaking of Mexican food, so the first time I had tamales was about a month and a half ago. I, I work at Chesapeake and we have this gym. And there's a janitor. He always comes through and cleans towels, Hispanic guy. And so I started giving him clothes. And then we became friends. And he's like, hey, uh, I, I want to make you some tamales. You know, I was like, okay. I mean, I've never had tamale. And so he actually made some and brought it over to the house. And, man, those were the best. Homemade. It was amazing. But, yeah, well, you don't like it, say – it's a process. It's a like two day process. Like if you make a lot, it's a two day. I've been, we made them, we make them here. And then we went to my kid's stepmom's mom's house and watch them make them. So it's, it's a, it's a process. Like, we made like years ago and like we made a bunch and like you cook the pork and you cook the beef all one day. Then the next day you start doing putting in the masa and the fucking stuff. And it's a, like, I didn't, all I was in charge of was cooking the pork outside on my burners. And that was it. But it's, it's a two, how long tamales is what? Two day process. Oh, oh, yes, it is. If you make a lot, I got them a, we bought a big old pot this year, mainly for shrimp boils. But I told them you can make 222 tamales. So y'all need to get to work next year. Man. Yeah. But we don't, we make enough, you know, five or six dozen just kind of for the family and yeah. us we still have some in the refrigerator that's awesome you can always freeze them and eat them so <laughs> we're gonna hey. you. there's my wife hey, hey how are you? This is Rosie. how are you pretty good pretty good tacos and cervezas huh that's my favorite <laughs> <laughs> that's why i'm fat <laughs> <laughs> There you go. Can you see? Isn't that? It's a bit dark. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I'm the one who's always bugging him. I gotta get these kids up. It's twelve, almost twelve thirty. Oh, that's true. <laughs> they to sleep all day. And then they'll lay up all night. So uh, it's just I don't know. I always tell my wife like I'm a. I'm honorary Mexican because like, I eat more Mexican food than most of my kids. My kids do. So, yeah. You know, I eat menudo. No, I don't eat menudo. I eat pizzoli or whatever, you know, my yeah. wife uh, cooks. So, but I was, like I said, I was raised that way. Like you were served something, you ate it. You didn't complain about it or anything. And like, well, 
Yeah. You first got married, like she, you know, didn't really cook. Her first husband really didn't like he just he didn't like homemade food. He just rather heated stuff up in the microwave, something yeah. like that. And then she started cooking for us. And there's a story she tells that she made fried chicken. And somehow she said it wasn't all the way cooked. I don't know about that, but I ate it anyway. Didn't, I've never complained about her food ever. She said, you know, it could, which is, it's always good. Yeah. It could have been bad, good. She, I always tell her it's good. I'll never complain about it. But that's just how I was raised, though, because there was always a sign in my mom's house that <clears throat> complaints to the cook could be hazardous for your health. And that's mm. how I lived. And I was in the Army. You know, the food wasn't the world's greatest, but you didn't, yeah. sometimes you didn't eat because it tastes good. You eat because you needed the nutrition to get through the damn day. So that's true. Oh, what am I most proud of? Uh, being a, being married 11 years is the number one. Or we'll be 11 years on the April 20th. That, that I never, that's, I told my wife, out of all my relationships, you put them all together and I, they don't all add up to uh, 11 years. Second would probably be my military career. Like I did a lot in a short amount of time, like real short, like four years. I was already getting ready to be a staff sergeant. And that's like the, the first time, first date that you can actually get promoted to staff sergeant is at four years. And I was, I was fast tracking, but then wow. God had other plans. And so this is, this is how I am. So, but like I said, I, I you know, I try to go to school online and learn some stuff. So going to school there in Oklahoma, starting in the summer, taking criminal justice classes. So nice. that way I can, you know, if I graduate, I can have mm -hmm. it on the wall. I can get a degree from University of Oklahoma. Probably never have to do anything with it unless times get really tough. But it's always good to have as a fallback plan just in case. But, you know, Army gives you, you know, or the VA gives you, education benefits use them you know because you you know so many years you, you end up losing them and it's just you know even if you don't use them all just to learn something new every day have some kind of like routine to get going to school on online and it it takes a little bit but you get used to it and it's just it gives you something else to do instead of driving yourself crazy or you ain't working or you're like, you know, 100% disabled like me and you got to stay home. You ain't be in class with people. You ain't got to be around a bunch of people. You're just on your computer, but you're learning something. Like I took a class last, the first of this year, I took Old Testament, learned about the Bible. Nice. So, you know, there's something new to learn and then, you know, some of the other classes they had, I'd really be interested in. So I went back to criminal justice, so, which I should be. I already got the two-year degree in that. And I grew up with a, in a family of police officers. And my dad was a police officer for 26 years. My mom did it for almost 15. Stepdad did it for almost 15. My brother-in-law was a police officer. Hell, my great-grandfather was a police officer. So, And then my great my grandfather, which I never got to meet, he served 20 years in the military. It was World War II, Korea. So, wow. I never got a chance to meet him, but he retired as first sergeant. So, and that's who, like, my grandmother, his wife, would always tell me stories. And that's how I got to be like, a real big history guy because she had pictures of, like, stuff he saw in, in, in during World War II. Like, he had a picture when they hung Mussolini upside down on the bridge. He had a picture of that because he was in Italy. You know, he had like my dad gave me the other day or Christmas year back years back. He has a, a Nazi Germany 45. And on the side of it, you can see where they have the little Nazi, not the swastika, but like their little eagle thing. You can see it on there. So hmm. I have it now. He, I, like I never shot it. I've asked him about like, if you shoot it, he's like, well, you know, sometimes on that thing, you got to squeeze real hard and it'll shoot. Sometimes you barely touch it in the shoot. So I don't ever mess with it. It's, it's put away. So something to pass down to my kids when they get older. Right on, man. That's awesome. How, do, how does uh, Jeremy Adams want to be remembered? Just a guy who didn't, he didn't quit. And you know, no matter what the situation was, like I didn't quit. Same way, like, 
I'm just like that. Like my whole life, like I could have quit a long time ago and just been you know, face down in a ditch somewhere, but I didn't quit. And I tell my wife, like I'll be running. And the other day it got hot and I was tired and I didn't want to finish. And I typed up the message, hey, call me when you get up because I was going to have her come pick me up. And I never hit send. And I was like, well, just let me run a little bit farther. And then I ran a little bit farther. Then I got to where any closer and I started running like uh, light poles. I run a light set of light poles and I walk. Run a set of light poles and I walk. Just to break the monotony of running. Yeah. And I finished. So and I told her I was almost close. Hell, the other day when I ran like my little, this little half marathon, I ran by myself. Like I got to like 10 miles and I'm like, okay, I got to turn around and go back two miles. I might as well just go finish the next three because I'm not going to call her to come get me. So, you know, but that's a good thing about running. Like it's just running with you. You know, I'm not trying to break any records or win any medals or anything like that. So if I don't feel like stopping and walking, I'll walk for a few minutes and then I'll pick it right back up and keep going. So, Man, I love it. I love your attitude. I'm so glad we're connected because you're an inspiration. And more importantly, you're impacting my life and our listeners when they listen to this or they watch it. It's there's no excuse. No, no more excuses. Yeah, that's what a, a first hard buddy of mine was saying. I showed him that I'd been running, and he's like, you know, dude, with all you've gone through, like, you still do it. And a lot of guys make excuses, and at the end of the day, an excuse is just an excuse. So, yeah. You know, but you, it, it might not be running. It might just be somebody get out and doing something different and pushing yourself a little bit, getting out of that comfort zone. And that's, you know, that's one thing I can always take from the military is like they pushed you to get out of that comfort zone. Because like me, I'm scared of heights. But I've done, I parachuted out of airplanes. I repelled out of a helicopter. Yeah. But the funnest thing to do, I'd rather parachute than repel because repelling, you're jumping backwards. Yeah. Parachute, you're jumping forwards. But <laughs> once, you know, once you get out of the plane, you know, and the only way to go is down. So I'm still trying to think about going skydiving, but I'm not there yet so but once you, you get up there you got to get out one way so it's just to, to get out of the plane so yeah well let's do a virtual pound i'm going to pound you brother i appreciate you man oh let's see my tattoo let's yeah, ask you that there you go nice <laughs> i would tell the kids it's like they get in trouble like let me give you a rosy sandwich <laughs> i don't want none yeah <laughs> All right, last uh, two questions for you. The first one is, Jeremy Adams, do you approve this podcast? No, I approve of it. It's a great thing. Awesome. And then how do we get in touch with you on Twitter or through email? Uh, my email is jadams42009 at gmail.com. And then my Twitter, let me look that up because I never know what I have. Okay, my Twitter is at sooner one. Tex or TX, capital T, lowercase x. So I'm the dude that's running with the beard. You know, one of those bearded guys. So we'll definitely get all that on show notes. So we're good. Yeah, they were like, well, you might need to shave your beard because I'm like, nope, not shaving. Like I clean it more and I clean <laughs> my hair. So I wash my beard every day. So got to take care of it. Well, thank you for doing that because there's some, man, there's some people that, with beards at work. I'm like, dude, do you even clean that thing i've run into some guys like you, you clean it you, it's like it's like a head of hair you got to take care of it because it'll start itching and get unruly <laughs> it's really unruly kind of unruly now but we're kind of stuck you know can't get a haircut so oh man yeah i've had a haircut in about five weeks yeah. not bad though yeah i'm i shaved had shaved mine all off and now it's growing back out so really right now I'm okay without getting a haircut, but the beard, you know, I got to keep it looking nice. So. Yeah. Do you, uh, do you want us to send you this version and then let you listen to it before we no. publish it? No, you can publish it. I ain't got to listen to it. I'm, I'm telling you, I won't even listen to it because I hate hearing myself talk. Okay. It just you sound so different when you're talking. Like you hear yourself talking now, but then you hear yourself recorded. Yeah. And you're like, God dang, I didn't know I talked like that. So. And I apologize to anybody that I dropped that bomb a couple of times, uh, but it happens. 
I mean, it's a, uh, it's real, it's authentic, and it's raw, and that's what I really appreciate about it, man. Well, I appreciate it, man. I, I enjoyed it. So, yeah. Well, if OU plays this fall, me and a couple buddies will get together and we'll get you up here, you and your son, to enjoy the game. We'll get to meet you, shake your hand, and and uh, thank you so much for everything you have done for the country, are currently doing for the country, your family. Be, dude, just keep being that common denominator of hope, man. That's what we need. I'll try. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's me being me, but like I said, it always goes back to my faith in the Lord. So that's what pushes me to be, do good things. And like, us, you know, I look at it like my life was saved twice because I was in an IED before the, the one actually got me really hurt. And I walked away from both of them. To a certain extent, and I'm still here. So, like I said, yeah. there's a plan for me out here to do something. So, I appreciate it, man. And you know, you can call me, text me anytime, too. So, okay. we're good. I appreciate it. Yeah, All right, man. man. You know, I'm Enjoy your Saturday. I truly hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have a defining moment or moments you would like to share, please reach out to me. I would love to visit with you about it and share it with the world on a podcast. Here's how to find me. Visit my website, www.definingmomentspod.com. Subscribe to Defining Moments Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoyed listening to this show, I would be extremely honored if you gave us a review. This helps boost this podcast so more people can find it. Go out and be a positive influence today, every day. Make someone smile. My name is Wong Lam, and I approve this podcast.